0: Responsibility, and it can come off like I have responsibility and you have none. Okay, so but but what I like in our body is I think we get that the way it's supposed to be is that we both have a responsibility. Now the reason why I say that is because we don't went through. If you've been here and you don't going through John, and you don't going through Galatians, and you don't going through 27 chapters of Genesis, and you still don't know the gospel, then that models to me that you don't get. You have a responsibility. You follow me? because you should be able to be articulating certain truths of the faith. You should be able to be conversant about the gospel. And I mean, you should be able to understand like what what is the reality of the cross and what does that mean in a a resurrection? You should have at some level a cursory understanding of what the importance of creation is and why what was God's mandate to man. Little things like that, right? That's your responsibility. And so what I want to challenge us to is that as we're in dialogue here, basically uh, we won't be going through eschatology after this time for a while, because I'm hoping that that stuff will go into our hearts. One more thing in our toolbox, right? So I don't want to be up here, have a, have have right? And then four months from now, you don't got a, you don't know, thing I said, and you didn't learn nothing, right? We we have a responsibility to be engaging each other, making sure that we are growing in our faith. That, that we're adding pieces to the puzzle and our house is getting more firm and more stable in Christ and, our, and is leading to our worship and we're becoming more and more informed worshipers of Christ. Just like this, boom, boom, right? It's not you just come here and hope through osmosis. I'm around Christians enough and I hear enough verses, maybe I'll get something. Like, that's not, that's not how we roll here. Like, that's not intentionality. I want us to be intentional about our growth, okay? That's just the ground rules as we even hit this doctrine stuff. Here, here's why, because right now we're just going to set the ground rules uh, this is gonna. This is this is that day that I get kind of nervous, because basically I'm just gonna say, hey, here's here's where we're going, and and you you it's like the first day of school. You're like, well, give me give me to the good stuff, but I, I want you to be like those two or three kids who actually the first couple of days of school they're actually listening, wanting to understand the infrastructure, right? And everybody else is going, man, the first couple of days of school, you know, and they're just doing their thing. Right, and then usually those cats, you know, you know, month in the game, they're trying to catch up. And those people who really sat there and try to understand the, the nomenclature of the class and what the teacher's talking about and how she you know, he do, does things, and like that helps them. So I want you to I want you to take this time and, and say like, if this remedial for you, to say, okay, do I really get this? Can I conver- can I have conversations about this with people? Do I believe this? Because you can get something, I really believe it, right? And, so, and so, this, so go on that journey with me. And if this is new for you, I pray you'll be like, wow, that, that's cool. And they, the Lord will lead that to worship. But we all have a responsibility, no matter where we are on the, on the gradation. All right? Okay, so first thing I'm going to do, so I'm so basically, um, excuse, it's going to be kind of technical in nature, but we have to set the groundwork or you're going to jump out of a window next week. I guarantee it. Because when we get in Revelations 20, I'm not, you know, I'm not, no one's hands being held, right? We're going for it. So... Right today is the day where we'll kind of mosey through the daisies. Okay, why is why is it important to know doctrine? Okay, so the doctrine is in general? Oh, real quick before I begin, please remember you can ask questions. It's totally cool. Don't feel just ask questions. Ask yourself. We'll encourage the saints. The Lord uses us all the time, so so feel free to do that. So doctrine in general is a code of beliefs or a body of teachings or instructions. Right. Christian doctrine specifically refers to that body of teaching that what we call Christianity. There's a reason why I'm going through all this. So when we look at the scriptures, uh, it says in Romans 6:17. 17, uh, but thanks be to God, although you have uh, you used to be slaves of sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them. Because, this is First Timothy 4.16, because if you do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. That's one of my life verses, actually, First Timothy uh, 4.16. Uh, now, I bring it up because, so if doctrine is a the, the code, like a framework of teaching, specifically that we call Christianity, then, okay, how do we form our doctrine just in, gener- in general? Well, by what you see, hear, feel, or what the world says. I propose to you that's how you form your doctrine by default. Okay, before you became a believer, here's how you formed your doctrine. See, when you became a Christian, you didn't come with a clean slate, and now, you have, now you're learning doctrine. Now, see, you have doctrine whether you're a Christian or not, and that's why there's a general definition of doctrine. So we all have a, a form of teaching in, by, in which we look and view the world, okay? And so, But the, I will propose to you what happens is the way you, you see things in your life, you, you hear things, right? So your parents indoctrinate you, whether for good or for bad, okay? You have your friends, uh, the world system, the world telling you things. You have all this stuff around you, and what begins to happen is by what you hear and you see, and then you have your feelings, right? Your feelings, all this stuff begins to tell you, because I feel this way, this is how I'm going to shape how I view the world. And so that's why why we, we have these journeys. We have these struggles with you can look at scripture and, and you can really struggle with things like homosexuality. And a lot of times I talk with people and, and a lot of their struggles are hard issues. Right? I propose this because there's a way you see the world that there's a doctrine you have in your heart and although there's another set of doctrine and teachings, here's what you believe. And so now you have to choose to disbelieve and rebelieve. Right. So 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 I say that because stick with me here, because what happens is is we think, oh, yeah, I got these things in my heart. Here's what I feel. Here's what I see. That's that's what happened. That must be reality. And we and we begin to form all this stuff. But then you become a Christian and you have to understand something. All that stuff you have in you has been tainted, tainted in two ways. Right. We're sinful in nature. So it means in in your nature, in in the essence of who you are, you're evil and messed up, okay? And so you're going to always take things to the worst, not to the good. Some of you I don't believe that. But look at your life. And then you have your world system. So you have internally you're messed up, and then you have externally the things around you are messed up. But then we use those two things to be our navigator of how to view truth. So now we walk around and we say, no, but this is what I've been taught. But the question is, is insight and truth synonymous? Just because people give you insight and you get stuff doesn't necessarily make it true. So that's how we start the game. We start the game like that, right? We're tainted by our sin nature and we're in a sinful world. Okay, so... So what the Lord does is he says, this is why, and I I propose this to you, this is why the stuff that we're doing specifically at Mac I don't know what everybody else is doing, but specifically here, the reason why Christian formation is so important, family, is because we are saying we agree with God that we're messed up. We're agreeing with God that you're evil, I'm evil, we're all crazy, the world's crazy. You know, we talked about it from the perspective of even how we got to the sexual revolution. Remember, we I was talking about sex, and I shared in the beginning how at first you, you had this discussion with the family. Now you got pornography everywhere. At first you, you had your penthouse. and I mean, we got increasingly crazier because evil people just get more evil. And so what happens is we're saying, oh... We're all crazy. And guess what? This praise the Lord. We have a tell us, We have a goal. We have an end. We have a rule. We have a playbook that the, that the Lord was gracious and said, you crazy, but I'm not. I'm perfect and holy. What I'll do is I'll provide you pure, unadulterated wisdom. I'm going to help you know if you do these things and you follow a loving God, an all-powerful God who loves you, you'll be on the right track. But guess what you got to do? You got to take the myths out of your life. So you gotta demythologize yourself. But see, here's the hard part about that. To take the myths out of your life, you gotta really admit at your core that you got all kinds of lies. That's hard for prayer for people. Right? I'll admit in my life. Christian formation, right? Um, a catechesis teaching, the importance of that is to reshape your lens. So we all have to first agree your lens is super whack and it needs to be reshaped. Okay, so I'm there. But I'm saying you got to do that because where we're going right now, here's what God is going to do. The way he reshapes our lens, that's what blows me away. He could have done it so simple. But what he did, he made it where you can see clearly if you're willing to see his way. But his way is so unlike the world, it makes you think you're not seeing clearly. Did you get that? I'm proposing to you in my favorite book, Revelation, I'm proposing the main content, content of Revelation is this, that what you think you see is reality is not reality, and what you don't see is actually reality. Well, lights out, dude. How do you, how you do that? Really? You couldn't just make the first one be the real thing? That would be way easier, but I'm not God. So, so personal time with the Lord. Our time when we, you know, we're asking you to spend time with the Lord in small groups. You know, we're we're in covenant to community together and you and I'm telling you guys, if you're here in this community and you're just coming on Sunday and you're just not in 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 being discipled and, and you know, I just I just think you're making a grave mistake. You've you've missed the essence of, of Macav. You don't even get what we're doing because what we're we're here to be and make disciples. Proclaim the gospel, make disciples. That's what we do. So if you're just getting this church thing here, I mean, I hope you're getting a little something, but you're missing it. Because I'm telling you, you're way more wet, messed up than you think, and you need more than church. So personal time with the Lord, small groups, being in community, having other crazy people feed your food, and you're talking about stuff, and you're praying, and you're getting in arguments, and you'll be crying because you're repenting and you're sinning, doing that stuff one-on-one time, spending time with another person. Just, just walking with the Lord. Like, 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 learn how to be vulnerable. Engage in life. Maybe you were a wacky disciple, maybe you were a good one. All that grows you. Praise the Lord. Right? Teaching on Sunday. Yeah, I run my mouth up here. We got great leaders. We got guys like Nate and David and and, and Lee and all these people. We, we come up here and we try as much as we can. And I guarantee you, there's all times, all kinds of times when we mess up, where my doctrine's kind of crazy. But at the, at the, at the core, we're trying to wrestle with rightfully discerning the truth and leading it and giving it to our people. Okay? So you got all these times. This is why it's important, because there's an issue here, there's a theme here that we are whacked. When you look at the murders and the rapes and the evil and the sin and the pain and the prayer requests we do, it's very evident. So so let, me, so, let me, so let me just give a, a little ground rules here where we're going. What we usually do is it's called biblical theology. Now, a lot of times people will say, uh, you know, and I, I guess I'm guilty of saying this too, is we would say we do exegesis. I think that's kind of misleading because you should, whether systematic or biblical, be doing exegesis. Because notice the exegesis terminology here. Notice the vernacular. Exegesis simply means to lead out, right? So you have a text here, and you say, "I want the text. uh, I want to know what the text is saying." So I'm leading out. I'm bringing out from the text. The meaning comes from the text. You lead out from the text. Um, Is a critical explanation or interpretation of the text. Okay, so that should be happening whether you're doing systematic or biblical theology. I'm just taking you through what we're doing. Okay, guys. Again, groundwork, got to get, your, get our minds right, because we're going to hit Revelation, and you're going to be like, well, well why are we here? I'm saying, to say, no, I mean, last week, I told you why we're doing this. So that's why you got to get this, okay? All right, so you got biblical theology is what we usually do. Your biblical theology being we seek to understand a certain passage in the Bible in light of all the biblical history leading up to it and later biblical references to that passage. So what we do is we go through a book of the Bible, right, and we say we're going to go through all the books of the Bible, and then when we get done, guess what we're going to do? We're going to go through those books again, right, guys? Amen. That's what we do. We're going to understand the canon. We're going to understand the God's narrative, his meta-narrative, and our place in it. So what we do is we say biblical theology is we go to a book, we open up the book, we go to the chapter, we say, wow, Genesis chapter 1. What's happening in Genesis chapter 1? Why is that happening in Genesis chapter 1? Does it talk about that anywhere else in the Bible? Oh, that gives us more insight to Genesis chapter 1. Oh, Genesis chapter 1 means this. It means that. And when you look at the verses below in Genesis chapter 1, verse 17, it helps me know more about Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Okay? Biblical theology is an ebb and flow. A look at, staring at the fishes, looking whole. Understanding what's going on in that specific passage based on the canon. Okay? What we're doing now, we've been doing that for a while. The reason why I bring this up is because we're gonna change our, our methodology, okay? We're gonna change our method here for this new study. What we're doing now is called, it's called systematic theology. Systematic theology is different for this reason. It attempts to formulate an orderly, rational, and coherent account of the Christian faiths and beliefs. Okay, so what we're doing here is we're going to say, okay, here's here's a topic, here's 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 a theological framework uh, from from antiquity. Now, what does the Bible say about it? Okay, it has a slight newer nuance, and and I say that because I want to make sure that what we're teaching that you're not thinking you're learning biblical theology when you're learning systematic theology. Why do I say that? Because we're going to be doing a lot of isolated text. Excuse me. Going from like Romans, this, then we're gonna hit, you know, Isaiah. We're gonna be in Daniel. We're gonna be bouncing around, and I want you to think, oh, so that's how you do Bible study, okay? That's how you do systematic Bible study. But you shouldn't be doing your biblical theology that way, because you can get, you can find yourself in some back in some weird alleys. So systematic study is we're gonna be looking at an issue and then looking at the scriptures and seeing what the scriptures say. All right, guys. All right. So specifically. Um, I know I'm going crazy here. I hope you follow me. I get excited. And I start talking fast. I was just talking. I saw people going. So, so because I'm trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was like, slow down, brother. All right. So, I took a little drink. So, we're back. Okay. Eschatology, guys. So, eschatology means uh, last. You know, we, you know, I've said this all the time. And that's why this might be remediable for some of you guys. But that means you've almost held more of the accountable all the more accountable to understand this. Meaning lastology means the study of. So the study of the last things. Okay? So this is what we're doing. We're talking about the study of the last things. The question you have to ask yourself is, so, yeah, when does this happen? How do we know the study of the last things? Um, I mean, there's just a lot of questions that come up right now. Like, what are the last things? Do they happen, like, now or later? I mean, just all kind of things that bounce around in your mind. We're going to get to all that. What I have to do now is I'm, and I, and and I want to do this in a way that's honorable to the Lord and to my brothers and sisters. I want you to understand there's, a, uh, there's two modes of thinking. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about um, dispensationalists, okay? Now, when we're talking about the study of last things. The dispensationalists is a, um, is a, a set of doctrines or it's a, a group of individuals who believe uh, a certain way of interpreting the scriptures, okay? Okay. Um, just like reformers believe a certain way into, of interpreting the scriptures, there's a certain form format that we go by. Okay, I am I am reformed in my doctrine, and I'll explain that later, so it won't just be lofty information, but we'll bring it down. But what I want to show here, and the whole heart behind even bringing up dispensationalism, because uh, I can't go spe- specifically into all the tenets, because it'll it'll make you go crazy. Um, Especially because they have they've revamped things many times. I mean there's there's literally six or seven camps of dispensationalists now, uh because they have graciously revamped some of their, their thinking. But uh this this in a nutshell, I bring this up because es, eschatology, talking about the last things, when we open up the text, there's gonna many times be two different ways of looking at something. And I'm gonna share, hey, here's what here's here's what people say about this from a dispensationalist camp, and here's why we have great problem with it. All right, and I just want to put it out there. But before I do that, I want you to understand. You going? Well, why are we talking about dispensationalism? I don't even know what it is. Well, it contends that the Bible cannot be properly understood apart from recognizing these distinct periods or eras or dispensations in which the unfolding purpose of God and His relationship with mankind are revealed. I'll break that down to you in a little bit. That was just a bunch of words for you. Now, real quick before I go here, the point of dispensationalism and the reason why I bring this up. Is because I want you to get away from this this hierarchical meaning in a sense of like you got these dispensations, you got these time periods, and they say God acts this way in this time, He acts mostly this way in this time, and He acts this way in this time. So you got a dispensation, you got a time of grace, a time of law. Okay, you got you got these different times where God acts. Okay, that's in a nutshell. That's not wholeheartedly important right now. What I want you to most most see. Is that the way you think, whether you know it a lot about the last things, about what's gonna to happen to this earth, even if you're not a, this is how, this is how, this is how influential dispensationalism is. Even if you're probably not a believer, you probably have some of these beliefs. That's how, that's how off the chain they are. Um, Well, there was a big argument. Good job, Michael. There was a big argument with reformers for a while, because reformers thought it was, um, oh, so uh, what? Michael was saying is it is it that they're progressively revealing themselves, or does he act certain ti- act certain ways in certain times? Great question. So reformers had an issue because reformers thought, well, hey, we we believe in dispensations. <laughs> like I I believe that God is progressively doing things and 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 showing more things, but they would say that yeah, basically. That when he he was doing this at this time, he was that he that at this time, these things were not happening. And so we would say so we would say when they would say the law of grace has come, we would say grace begins in Genesis. See, we would say grace was uh, Jesus not even allowing man to eat again from the tree of life because he would have been unredeemed forever so i think that so but again if you talk about progressive dispensationalism which is another sect of it then they have agreed to that so so to try so for me right now that's what i'm saying the goal right now is not for us to hone down what dispensationalists believe because i'll be running around with all kind of rabbit trails and all y'all leave the church so so we're not going to do that <laughs> here's what we're going to do i want you to focus i want you to focus on influence Right now, just trust me here. I just want you to focus on influence, even though you don't know what what it means. I want you to see the influence. So, now notice this. The founding fathers in the 1800s, okay, um, John Darby, but but to his credit, uh, his thought process came from some Jesuits in the 1500s. Uh, He sort of revamped some of their stuff. But their stuff wasn't public in the least. So really, I think we are being fair to say that dispensationalism, as it were today, uh, in all of its different Kinds was um, in ex- became in existence in the 1800s. Okay, um, so it was given strength in the 1900s, though, um, by Schofield and some individuals. You guys ever heard of the Schofield Bible? Uh, so you got Schofield. I mean, it's a, it's, it's probably one of the most prominent Bibles um, in in Western culture. So, um, uh, and what happened is through the, uh, through the Schofield Bible and other individuals. This has become the default dominant thinking of evangelical Christianity. Now, let me just, the reason why I'm saying that, let me just take you through some things here. So here, here is what we'll be, dealing, we'll be talking through, these different things. Uh, these are some of the things that I would say uh, there's, there's serious disagreement on, okay? Uh, the literal interpretation of scripture, they would say, you interpret you know, actually they think you're, you're sort of becoming soft uh, if you don't literally interpret scripture. Uh, because hey, God wrote His Word, and so there's some good hearts here. This is to be clear, and and to be clear, there are men who are 80 times smarter, 40, have been used 130 times more, and I just disagree. And there's a whole there's a whole camp of people formed who say this is not um, accurate. But I just want to say it's not a bunch of goofballs just running around in circles trying to cause harm. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, Little interpretation of scripture. Uh, we're going to talk through that. So I'm just giving you the, the, con- the concept, the dichotomy between Israel and the church. Uh, they would say that Israel and the church are on two different uh, trajectories. Okay. The church is God's people. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people. And they'll be doing, they'll be on two different trajectories, especially in their reign. And we'll talk about that in the weeks ago, uh, to come. Okay. And how they reign, uh, the, the church actually reigning here in Israel, it's going to get crazy. Um, Restrictive view of the church, a postponed kingdom. They've since recanted the postponed kingdom because, again, we, there was a lot of holes in their argument. And so then another sect of dispensationalists came up and said, actually, we don't think the kingdom has been postponed. I'm like, sweet. I don't either. So um, the distinction between law and grace, um, pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, how many of you guys believe in a rapture? So, so you're scared. Like, Don't be scared. It's okay. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. So so the rapture, our propose, uh, is is not um, our proposal, is not centric It's not I propose uh, the concept of rapture of us being with God is true, but the whole sense of 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 us being disappearing, the whole left behind series motif our propose has problems. Um, and I'm gonna try to prove all this stuff. We're gonna have great dialogue and I have good friends who struggle with this, so I get it guys. Um, purpose of the tribulation. The nature of the millennial reign, just a thousand year reign. You ever heard of that? There's this is reign of Christ that's going to happen. We're going to process that a little bit. Um, will Christ come down here and reign and will it be the super godly for a thousand years and then all of a sudden will all hell in itself break loose? Um, or is that, is that not the case? There's some other aspects. The eternal state. Um, and there's a sense of, I'll, um, this is not me, but uh, many camps will say this is where non-lordship teaching has originated. Now, what that means is, and you have you heard this i've heard people say this all the time um, hey uh, this person they're they're a christian they're just not walking. Have you heard that or or um I, I well I receive Jesus as my my savior but not my lord. Have you ever heard that um our, well I'm going to show you how this originated from some of the doctrine okay again, just the reason why I'm saying this is because I want you to see the influence here. I, I, just, I just took 20 seconds to see, just to think through, like, where is this influence? How, how, how intense is the influence of dispensationalism? Okay? And you can see a lot of great names, people that I've actually served, I mean, worked for. You know, Bill Bright was actually our president. I was a Crusade for a couple of years. Um, I mean, these seminaries, some of my, my great friends go to these seminaries and go to these schools, all these schools. And the reason why I'm doing this is I'm trying to show you the prevalent, how prevalent. Like I'm trying to show you. Here's my here's my statement. Uh, to be a dispensationalist in America is like a fish being in water. Like you don't even know that you're wet, right? And so this is this is a default thinking. I was a dis, I was a dispensationalist camp for ten years and making fun of guys who weren't. And uh, this is just a default mode of thinking. This is how you're going to come in a game, in my opinion, unless you grow up um, in. In a reformed church, in my opinion. Um, yes, this. So, is it important that you're dividing distance, 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 uh. so the distance and the state of the state? Dispensationalism or whatever, because you're, you're going to be teaching you that eschatology from a different camp? Exactly. Okay, because you're saying, I'm like, so well, you don't really know what it is, you don't sit in that camp, like it's, it's hard to understand even, i just keeping it real. It's hard to understand kind of what you're talking about. You're exactly. Totally. Well, here's what I'm doing. Here's my point is I want, I want to show you, I want, my, my heart behind this is for you guys to go, well, I'm not into that. I don't, I don't care about this. And then what I'm going to do next week is as I bring up things, you can go, well, I believe that. Hey, I believe that. Hey, I believe that. I'm leaving the church. Hey, you're horrible. Hey, you see what I'm saying? So, so what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to get you kind of comfortable. Like, yeah. Well, I ain't, I ain't no dispensational. <laughs> you know, and then, you know what I'm saying? And then I'm just gonna bring up default thinking, and you are gonna go, yeah, I watched that movie four times, you know. And I'm gonna go, well, they was, that wasn't true. And and then I'm gonna say, now, this, this now, 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 this put skin in the game. Where are you? See, so I'm, I'm trying to set it up. I'm trying to make you think it's lofty, because I'm gonna show you that the thinking, the the dispensational thesis is lofty, but the practical demonstration is all in our hearts, in America, as it were. And so I wanna, I'm hopefully we'll be able to show you that in the next couple of weeks, because hopefully we can do some. Some hopefully some God-centered surgery and say, okay, so here's some things you think, just take it out. Here's some things that we normally think, and we can wrestle, okay? But and I, and, and, and can you do me a favor, family? Can you stick around for three weeks? Like don't don't like don't get mad. Like just get, give me the whole at least give me the courtesies. I have the whole three weeks before you just you know write me off as a heretic. So uh, so look at it. But look, but look so, so I want you to see the influence, see the intense influence. Let me just go real. Yes, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I want you to see the influence. So you see these schools. Like, look at this. So um, I, I can't think of I can't think of a um, of a mega church or a church pastor that I know of a big church who's not dispensationalist. I'm just I'm just want you to understand the influence. Um, all these parachurch organizations, with the exception of Intervarsity, they're kind of less than others. They have some camps, but I think, in my opinion, I think they're they're Asian cohort. Help the brothers out because they're like, high, pre- there's got some Presbyterian roots there, but that's just my commentary. But, um, but, uh, the youth of Christ, young life, I mean, I was a campus crusader, all those are dispensations. Um, uh, Moody Bible Institute, any radio station you're listening to, usually I'm proposing is coming from this framework. So I'm just, so my point is, this is, this is the air we breathe. Y'all, y'all mad at me? All right. Look at this. Books that have, and a couple books in particular, The Great Planet Earth, you know, you can check these out. Uh, Hal Lindsey, uh, Left Behind series. Have you guys ever heard of Left Behind series? Okay. Um, all right. Man, so. Reformed way of thinking is not dispensational. Calvin should. I mean, I have been there. Calvin, if they're reformed, they should not be dispensational. Yeah, those are the two major, like, yeah, those are the ones that have been button heads. Mm-hmm. All right? I did a murmur. I like this. Y'all are kind of getting straight on me. They're like, hold up. Wait till, wait till afterwards. Watch. All right, man. It's a s- oh. uh, I think, let me see. Let's go back. Navigators and navs. Just, just, just for the sake of time, because I, I got a couple of minutes, guys. Let me just keep rolling real quick. Okay, just wanted to, just to, just to get your, get you going, get you going a little bit, okay? So just throw that in your heart, because we're going to readdress these things as we look at the text next week, okay, guys? Alright, so here's the thing. The starting point of eschatology, okay? Um, I propose is the resurrection. Now, I'm not going to have much time in here, but think about this. I mean, uh, I, just because of nuts and bolts, the most important time, a lot of times when we think of, of the study of the last things, is we, our natural tendency is to always want to look forward, okay, to like what's going to happen. And I, and I think this is the first thing that God does when he revamps his whole way of how we're supposed to look at reality. He's saying, and hear me, guys, if you're just now coming to the faith, he's saying that the most important point of history is not when you look forward to what's going to happen, but it's what happened at the cross, okay? So let me be really clear here. That's the most important point of history, the most important time in history is at the cross and resurrection. And here's why. You think about it, okay? So you have God creates out of love and abundance, right? And then what happens is that we have the audacity to think we're our own gods. We sin. We fall short of God's glory. The wage of sin is death. God says to everyone right now, you're not sinful by nature. You deserve death. He should have murdered and killed us all because of our evil, and He's holy and perfect. What He does, He gives us, and here's the deal. He does not remove justice and just give us mercy. Here's what he does. In his divine mercy, he satisfies his justice in the cross. Don't... You've got to understand the good news. See, the thing is, the beauty of the gospel is that what God does, is he pays for sin. Jesus says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to be merciful, and I could have destroyed you, but I'm going to save you. I'm going to allow you to be my friends. I'm going to, creation was decreated, I'm going to put it back on his recreated path. And what he does, he says, I'm going to do that through the cross and the resurrection. And what the resurrection is, family, hear this, it is nothing more than God's, it's his cry to the world that his payment has been paid. That his, that the wages of sin have been paid and that it was satisfied. Why do we know it was satisfied? Because Jesus rose. If it wasn't, he would have stayed dead. And so, so the the resurrection is for you and me to go. Oh, so actually the wages have been paid for, and that's how you look at this verse. The question I'm asking is, why was it impossible for Jesus to remain dead? Have you ever thought about that? Why was it impossible? Look at the verse. But God raised him from the dead, Acts 2.24, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Why was it impossible for death to keep his hold on him? We usually could say, oh, because God is bigger than Satan. He's stronger than Satan. I go, yeah, that's true theologically. I want us to get even deeper theologically. Get a little more linear. Think about it. You know why? Because the wages of sin is death. And then Jesus died for us. There's no more wage to pay because he died. Do you hear me? If I owe you five dollars, i give you five. You can't ask for six. God God is holy, perfect, and just. He says, here's my wage. Who can pay it? Jesus says, I'll pay it for them. He says, I'll murder my son. My son rose from the dead. He says, all my rest is finished. It's all gone. It's all paid. It was all paid. And that's why we scream up here all the time and we say, we say even, you." we say Jesus. We say Jesus is enough. Do you understand? That Jesus is enough to reconcile you to God. He's enough to pay for it. He is enough to pay for your sin. He's enough to reconcile you to God. He's enough to free you from the penalty and the payment of sin. He's enough for you to understand that there's no, truly, when the scriptures say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's why he's enough. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the resurrection is death could not hold him. Don't ever think that God in his love just said, I'm not going to look at your sin. He looked dead at your sin. He looked dead at it. All of your lies, all of our murders, all of our pornography, all of our deception, all of our jealousy. He looked dead at it. And he killed his son. And he paid. And the good news is really good news. Because guess what, Ray, bro, we ain't gotta pay for nothing. Amen. We trust our Savior. We trust our. See, see, God would have been unjust to send you to hell when you've given your life to the perfect sacrifice. He understands that. He'd be unjust because he said that he paid it. So God, guess what? His imputation. God was just in killing Jesus as it were, in imputation, imputing our sin on him. He was actually just in murdering his son. And in the same way, he's actually just. Praise the Lord for sending us to be with him forever in this imputation because we have received Christ's righteousness. It's an act of justice. It's not just this flippant love. It's love and divine mercy wrapped around with a bullet shot through of justice. Where God can say, I'm fully just, and I'm fully merciful, and I'm fully loving. I just want us to get it. And if that's true, if that's true, You look at those guys and all those things evil, sin, Satan, death, demons. You think of the millennial reign, you think of the kingdom and new creation, Israel. What's going to happen with Israel, the world, the saints, us as the people of God? You don't have to look towards something else that God's going to do even more cooler than a cross. He says, Family is at the resurrection. The resurrection is what we stare at. The beauty of our risen Savior. Something happened at the resurrection. Let me just say this. The resurrection is important. And I want to propose to you, my family, my awesome friends, all these things. God did something at the resurrection. The resurrection The authors of the scriptures want you and I to be deeply convicted, passionately convinced, to the point of death. You hear me, guys? To the point of death, that resurrection is the interpretive tool. It's the interpretive tool of how you live now. And it's a tool of how you will live. We don't just live now with some wishy-washy hope. You think of biblical hope, guys. Think of hope. Hope has evidence. We can change hope. We can think of hope is without evidence. You you don't when you hope for something is because you've you've had some inkling that this might happen. That's why you hope, and if you don't, if you just hope and wishy-washy, you're kind of stupid. Right? If someone's making all F's, they don't go to class, they they run around, you don't sit in your room hoping they'll bring in an A. The reason why you think this person might pass is because you've seen glimmers of hope. Right. The gospel's practical. Jesus is street, y'all. I'm telling you. All right, guys, um, let me fly through this real quick. Here's one thing I want you to know. I got I, 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 It's 1234. Um, so I wanted to do kingdom today because I think it's kind of easy for us. All right. So we're going to hit kingdom. But I want us to understand we start this with the resurrection. OK, the resurrection is our umbrella of how we're going to look at the world and ourselves, guys. All right. So here's the deal. Kingdom. So is God's kingdom coming or is it here? Now, I would have been fighting and trying to convince you some stuff. But again, our dispensationalist friends, they have committed. They said, hey, um, we submit. Uh, we think in this camp, this makes sense. God's kingdom has come. Uh, we get it. OK, let me just look at some verses. Guys, you go through the gospel, and you will find hundreds of texts about the kingdom. I'm just going to show you a few. Look at how I talk to you. Now, don't miss this, because this is going to be a good one, okay? Because you're to have to go back to this when we're talking. It says, from that time, verse 4, from that time on, Jesus began to repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Your kingdom I'm just going to fly through him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So he says, your kingdom has come near. Is it here yet? Well, can we talk through that? I propose even that verse is saying it's here now. But let's go to some other text. Even if you think that one is a verse saying the kingdom is coming, Uh, Your kingdom will um, come. Your will be done. That seemed like, oh, your kingdom will come. So there's a future aspect. The seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You can seek God's kingdom now. Huh? So is it here? Right? These are things you're asking yourself. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. So people can raid the kingdom. So it must be here. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's subjected to violence. I mean, how is that the case? Um, But if it, if it be by the Spirit of God, I drive out demons and the kingdom of God has come upon you, right? This is Jesus casting out demons. He says, hey, I'm not a demon. That's silly. Why would a demon cast out a demon? I'm God. Hey, if I'm doing this, the kingdom of God is here now. Okay? Uh, Truly I tell you, Matthew 16, some who are standing here would not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right? All those people dead now, right? Well. I propose to you. They see him coming in his kingdom. Where I propose the resurrection. Okay. So, so I propose. He says they're going to taste. They're going to see the kingdom right before they taste death. So we got some fundamental problems if we're thinking we're still waiting for the kingdom to come. Um, For the sake of time, it's going to go on here. The kingdom is not primarily a place, but a focus. And you guys have heard me say this over and over again. But here's this, guys. I want you, after we talk kingdom theology, all this, we all amen, and we all need to make sure that this is in our hearts, okay? First thing we're going to talk about, uh, the kingdom of God primarily is not a place, okay? The focus is always rule and reign. So primarily, Jesus is not primarily concerned about a place. He's concerned about people loving God, honoring God, and, and that God's kingdom comes when the rule and reign of God is displayed. As it were, when the, kingdom, when the rule and reign of God comes. How does the rule and reign of God come? When we obey the Lord. You got me? Okay, let keep going. But it also is a place. <laughs> She's like, oh, So the rule of God happens in times and places. Whenever God's people are and they are about God's business... His kingdom is coming in that time and in that place. Okay? So there is a reality that God's kingdom is a rule and a reign, but it's not just, oh, it's rule and reign. It's that God is, see, and that's why the promised land, he was giving the Israelites the promised land. You guys have heard promised land stuff. Well, I just want to throw that out to say, as it were, the new promised land will be the whole world. Okay? Because what God's going to do in a new creation, he's going to, this is, this is all his. He's not, this is his stuff. And he will reclaim it for his glory. OK, so 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 it is a place. And so right now he's just allowing little little kingdom exposits. Right. So when we are sharing our faith, when we're and that's why you can be in a Bob Evans. And literally God's kingdom can be coming in this booth and not coming in this booth. OK, I want you to get this now. OK, and, and look at the text we talked about. We saw the ebb and flow. We saw both. So how do you deal with that? I'm trying to help us see it right now. Okay, I'm almost done. You guys need to stretch. We're almost done. Okay, all right. So so it is here. So it is It is rule, and place is not the focus, but it's also a place, both. It's here. Okay, God said the kingdom has come, right? So, when Jesus, so the kingdom comes in Christ, right? When Jesus steps on the stage, basically, boom, what he does is he, he busts a hole you have creation that God has made, and then it gets tainted by sin. And what Jesus and the Father has promised is that we're going to recreate everything. We're going to make all things new. And then what he says when he dies and he rises from the dead, dead. what did he say? I made all things new. Come on now. Guess what he did? He busts a hole into creation as it was and bust a hole and said, Now guess what has entered? New creation. See, now I've, got to, now I've got to deal with faith. Okay? Because you see all the pain in the destitute. And so he says, the kingdom, reason the kingdom and his reign has come because God has allowed new creation based on the cross and resurrection in his reign to now be in creation, in this old system. And that's why it is also yet to come. Okay, guys? Because although it has come, It's not fully consummated yet because there's a few things that Jesus needs to take care of. He's going to finalize things where he's going to fully show us that he's destroyed death. He's going to fully take care of Satan, right, and demons and evil. And, by the way, he's going to hook us up with some good bodies. So here's what you're living in. Here's our issue. And then we're going to pray. Actually, can, can you get ready, sis? Come up. We're going to sing. We're going to worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. I just want to point some things out real quick, okay? So what you have here is you have creation. All right. And then you have our age now. All right. And what happens in our age, the reality is, do you believe this? Our age, there's death. We die. All right. In this age, we're fallen and messed up. Jesus comes. He's resurrected and what he does. He says, guess what? I'm going to allow this age to come to actually enter into here now. And so the way we see the remnants of that, the way we understand that that's a reality, is we have, the, we have the Holy Spirit, right, who's allowed his new creation, who's allowing us to retell his story to the world, and his people who are empowered with the Spirit to retell his story to the world as we are extending his kingdom in these towns and in these places. You hear me? Now, do you understand why we're here, Macav? You see why we're here now? Come on, y'all. That's why we're here. And so what God is saying is, guess what? We are in this time, what they would call the now and not yet. We are in between. We are in the most awesome time in history where we get to experience the resurrection power of Christ and also we get to be his missionaries to a world. We get to be in between a time where God has taken over and where he will fully take over. That's where you and I are right now. We're in between that time, between the now and not yet. We are in, we are experiencing new creation in a fallen world. How does this affect us today? We talked about hope. This allows us to reclaim hope. See, and that's why we do what we do. I'm just going to float through these. It allows us to reclaim a missional posture. If this is true, if this is reality, we have hope. Why? Because of the resurrection. We know that God has promised, and then He does it to show us what He's promised. He shows us clearly with His resurrected body. That's why when He got up, the dead people started walking around. All things got crazy. The veils were torn. All, everything went crazy, buck wild, because God was saying, New creation is entering in. Will you believe it? Do you believe my kingdom is here? That's the question. And then what he does, he says, I want you now, if that's the case, hey, that's happened. But guess what? Because we're still in the fallen world and Satan's lies are powerful. He says the world doesn't know that new creation has come. So guess what you are called to do? Guess what I'm called to do? Guess why you have moved your crazy butt to Maccalf? Because God has said, I want you to be my kingdom proclaimers in times and places, specifically here. That's what you do. We tell the world, guess what? Jesus reigns. The king is actually here. New creation has erupted into old creation. And you can experience God's love and reality of new creation as you submit to the king. That's our message. That's what we're doing. That's why we disciple. That's why we always got you out here hustling and sharing your faith. That's why we do a corner stores and all kind of crazy stuff. That's why you got all these crazy people. All y'all, I love y'all. We all Crazy. Because we worship a king where it looks like he doesn't reign. Because he came like a stray punk. He came poor and, and, and humble and meek and mild. And everybody said, look at him. And see, but that's the irony of the cross and the resurrection, and that's the irony in our lives as a church. We look weird. We sit in this hot room singing songs and, and loving each other and crying when someone hurts us and repenting and asking for confession and, and all these things we do. And people go, that doesn't seem like a dog-eat-dog world. you got to be a G. And we look crazy. But as it were, we realize the scriptures say that the, that the lamb who was slain is also the lion of Judah. And that's the irony, is that he came as a lamb. He will come back as a lion, you understand? And we will too as a church. Missional posture. That's how we do what we do. I'm going to get fired, man, if I don't get going. Reminds the world of God's new world through the testimony of God's people. I think we've already established that. Guys, understand. This is where we're going next couple weeks. We're going to enter into this. Okay? That's how it affects us, guys. I want the one last thing, and we're going to sing. Understand this. We get talking about missional, serving, sharing our faith. New creation. What is new creation? Do you bring it? No. You got to get that if you're going to be on mission at Maccalf because you'll mess things up. Don't do things for the wrong reasons. New creation. Okay, again, it's promised land, promised land motif. You got to, it's a gift. It was always a gift. They didn't do anything to get the first promised land. You understand? Why? Because he was trying to show us something, in a microcosm of what he's going to do with new creation. Look at the Scriptures, family, Revelation 22, 1 through 5. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life as a crystal, a clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the land. Down, middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the land will be in the city, and his servants will serve... Him, they will see his face, and he will, um, his name will be on their foreheads. We could talk about that later. There will be no more night. They will not need the lamp of a lamp, um, of a, the light of a lamp, or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Ever. Who will reign? You and I. Look, at, look who's doing everything there, God. And it says specifically as you continue to read on, and in Hebrews it says, ushers in the new heavens and a new earth. God is going to do it. So you go, well, why am I doing what we're doing? Again, God has pro- called us to be proclaimers and disciple makers. He says, I'm going to bring new creation. What you're doing right now is you're showing people what new creation looks like. You're new, we're new creation agents. So we're beginning to establish and be now who we already are in eternity. You got me there? Now, I, can't, I don't have time to go into it, but that just, that just changes things a little bit. Because you can't, you know, we want to have faith. So, you know, Kelsey said really good Hey, you know, we need to have faith that God can transform this community. She is exactly right. God can't transform this community. I propose as I look at Scripture, though, and hear me here, don't beat me up. I don't know if his primary concern is for you and me, primary, to transform the community, right, to make it heaven on earth, as it were, so we don't need God, or, right, I mean, we want to do good things, and I hope that happens. But his concern is for us to be missional. And he does the work. A lot of stuff. You guys have been really gracious. Let's worship the Lord. The reality of all that, you just got to ask yourself, which kingdom will you belong to? I'm praying there's no one in here right now who has duped themselves and think they're part of God's kingdom when you haven't submitted to the king. There's no hoops to jump through. There's just a life to give, your life, to your Savior. He's your king. That pain and all that stuff we talked about is for you and me. I pray you will receive Christ as your king. We're going to sing. We're going to take tithes right now. I want to remind you guys um, that what we're talking about here is about worship. And I, and I, and I pray, if you love Jesus right now, pray, you're praying for those in this room, but there's some people who are still just weird about the gospel and don't get it. We don't want people leaving here, hearing this stuff, and still not born again of the Spirit. Okay, guys? So we pray that you would talk with someone, talk with the body. We've had people come to Christ in the last couple of weeks. Praise the Lord. Continue to pray that God ushers in his people.